Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hi, this is James Kandasamy. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate you. I know I provide a lot of value through this podcast and I want you to share it with your friends, with your families and anybody else that you know that kind of benefit from listening to this kind of content. Go share it through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Twitter, through Instagram or any other channels that you want to share it because sharing is caring. Thank you. Let's go on with the show. Hey audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have a very special guest, David Lagarde from Dallas area. And David must be the, the most interesting person that I've ever interviewed because uh, you know he owns a lot of units on his own. It's almost 4,000 units uh, he have done that is on his own. No syndication, right? So it's going to be very interesting because, you know, where does a life of a syndicator end up with, right? And I always think that first, of course, you do single family or you do multifamily on a syndication and later on you go into, uh, you know, owning things yourself. But, uh, you know, so David is the end goal that some of the syndicators want to go, right? So even though he started recently doing syndication. So, so we can go a bit more detail in that. Hey, David, uh, why not you say hi to our audience and give us a good introduction about yourself? All right, James, thanks for having me uh, on your podcast. Um, again, I'm David Lagat, um, based out of Dallas. Um, I own a company called Bella Asset Management, and we do, uh, we are owner operators of Class B, C uh, space uh, in DFW and uh, mostly Texas and the surrounding states. So we're in Oklahoma, New Mexico, um, Alabama, and Louisiana. Yeah. So you are vertically integrated, right? You have property management, asset management, everything on your own, I guess. Yes, we do have, we are vertically integrated. We have a, a property management and construction uh, in-house. Yes. Yes. So that's crazy, right? I mean, um, so I want to go into that. How did you do that many units on your own? But let's go back to, you know, your roots, right? So um, where did you get started in the U.S.? When did you come to the U.S.? And um, you know, let's start from, you know, where are you from originally? I'm originally, I was born and raised in Kenya, went to a high school there. And then, um, I came to the U S about 25 years ago on a truck scholarship, um, on a track scholarship, on a truck scholarship. And, uh, went to college, uh, uh, in this, uh, here in, uh, the Dallas area in TCU, actually in Fort Worth. Got and, it. And, um, uh, uh, that's, uh, so, so what do you do? Do you run? Do you jump or do you, what, what I was, I ran middle, long and middle distance, long and middle distance. Yeah. So, so I've heard about this, that people in Kenya, because they usually, they are in a high altitude, right? So right. their lungs are bigger or the upper abdomen is, is bigger because you know, they're high altitude. They always breathe much uh, differently. Is that true? I mean, that makes them a, a much better runner. 
Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's probably a myth, but um, <laughs> okay. it just, you know, maybe you come from the highlands and maybe, you know, we come from high altitude. Maybe that has something to do with it, but, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, there's some very high altitudes. Uh, Kathmandu, I think, is the tallest, uh, the highest altitude that we do have, but I don't see we... Uh, you know, I don't know that that's a factor, right? Uh, yeah, someone you, told me because a lot of uh, really good runners in the world, I mean, come, comes from Kenya, right? And and so I don't know where did I read it, but they said you know, usually because people live in Kenya, um, they are in high altitude and... Yeah, um, I mean, that has might have some truth to it because we, uh, you know, I'm from the, I, I live in the highlands of the Rift Valley. And okay. so, you know, Growing up, you you know, running up and down the hills with the goats and sheep. So maybe that has something to do with it. I just know that when I started running, it just clicked and that was fine. Yeah, that's crazy, right? So, so when you were in Kenya, I mean, did you ever thought about coming to the U.S. or how was your life there? And how did you? I mean, I know you. Eventually, you got a track scholarship, right? But what was your childhood dream? My job, my, most of my relatives um, actually run in Europe. They're so, in Europe? Yeah, the, you know, Italy, maybe, uh, you know, I think my uncle lived in Rome for a long time. So, okay. and also okay. all my cousins, they're either in Spain or, or, hmm. or, or, you know, out running out there. And so when you're growing up, you're thinking, okay, that's where I'm going to end up. You know, you're, you're training, you're either going to go to Europe or those places and then, you know, London. And, you mean they are runners who are? Yes. So they got oh, okay. like uh, contracts, you know, like, you know, running is okay. just like football this year. Where wow. I come from. So. so you, you were part of that running uh, family, right? Where everybody has that capabilities to. Yeah. I think my uncle, uh, you know, was uh, the one that got everybody in that. Uh, running and then cousins and all that stuff and mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. but so, I chose it. So when you are small, you were thinking that okay, since everybody's running, the family is going to be a, a sport. Uh, I don't know that that's really what I was thinking. It's just I didn't know. I started running my last year of high school. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I wasn't like I've been running since. So you know, I started running at that point because I was the you know you. Uh, your passport out of, you know, out of the, you know, if you wanted to go to Europe, that's how you got there. Mm. If you wanted to get, you know, go study overseas, you know, that's how you, you know, you, you're able to do it. So how did you choose the, uh, the U.S.? Actually, I had uh, scholarships to go to university uh, in London, uh, Finland, and also, but then in the U.S., I got like six or seven scholarships. I talked to a guy, uh, he's from my village. He went to school in Iowa State. And when I talked to him, he was like, hey, forget about Europe. You need to go to U.S., study, and then you'll have something to fall back in case you're, you know, running career has a lifespan of maybe, yeah, it's a lifespan. maybe five, seven years, 10 years the most, right? So you're like, okay, after you're done with your running career, what are you going to do? You know, so, and then you could get injured. So it's like, you got to have a backup plan. And so, you know, he advised me, hey, you need to go to the USA. And then the second part becomes... You know, you have this scholarship, University of Georgia, you know, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, you know, Texas and all these schools. How do you, you know, what school do you want to go? The only thing that we looked at since I've never been to the States was, hey, which one doesn't have snow? Go to Texas. I didn't know anything about Texas. Yeah, I didn't mind the once a year snow. That's it that we get in Texas. I mean, we get after, yeah. every few years we get one day snow. 
for a year. So that's all. That's yeah. All. So he advised me. He was like, well, I went to Iowa State and you know what? I wouldn't advise you to go there because he went to do his master's at University of Texas in Austin. And it was like, well, I was there for two years and I liked it there. So I think you should go to Texas. So that's got what it. I decided to do. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay, so you came on a scholarship here. You studied in in a college, right? So you said TCU, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. So you did TCU, and uh, you did what four-year program? Is that right? I did a four-year program. Uh, got my uh, business degree in, mm -hmm. in uh, accounting and finance, mm -hmm. and then you know back when I graduated, you know companies were coming on campus, right, recruiting you on campus. Mm -hmm. So I got my I got my job, several offers on my you know my junior year you know, my third year of college. So, you know, graduated from that, uh, went and worked for uh, JP Morgan. Got it. Uh, right after my thing, uh, right after I graduated and uh, as a staff accountant. Got it, got it. So, so you did your program, you finished your degree, you got into a JP Morgan as a staff accountant, right? So, yeah. so what were you, I mean, what, so when you started working, what were your thought process? Were you like, thinking that this is how my life is going to be or what happened then? One thing that I was telling myself is I don't think this is, this is, this is the, be it uh, and all, right? I didn't think that, you know, I, I don't think that I was built to work at the corporate, uh, corporate job. Why did you, uh, why did, why did, why did that thought come? The structure, right? Because it's like, you you need to be here this time you, you know you, it seems like your time is regular this is when you go to lunch this is when you you know this is when you you, you report in the morning it's like structured mm -hmm. you have to be here a certain time and, I, and the other thing that i hated about it is you know if you had to go on vacation like assume i wanted to go visit my family in in kenya or something like that mm -hmm. i had to have make sure that how many you know you get two weeks vacation you know, so I, you know, but then on top of that, sometimes you take time off for personal reasons. So you have to budget your time off so that, you know, you still have time to go visit family and all that stuff. So to me, at that point, you're starting to look at, you know, uh, you know, there's got to be something better than this. Hmm. Okay. Right. So then how did you, uh, what was the next, next step after you uh, being an accountant? How did you get out from that life? Or did so you I was looking, um, you know, I, I read a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that I uh, thought about is, you know, I know owning your own business is going to give you that uh, freedom, you know, time freedom to do, you know, at least you can, you know, take some time off if need be, right? So then uh, you start researching what, uh, you know, what you would do. And then, you know, I think around that time, about 2001, I got, um, you know, I, the rich dad, poor dad was coming out. So I think I read the Richard Poor Dad at that time. And from that standpoint, I think I, you know, after reading that, I figured I steered myself towards doing real estate while I was still at the bank and uh, looked for property and, and bought my first fourplex. Didn't know what I was doing. Just after reading Poor Dad for a while, I ended up buying a fourplex. Um, and uh, uh, that's how uh, I, my real estate journey started. Got it, got it, got it. So audience, you guys want to listen very carefully because we're going to transition on how did we, he, how did David buy, you know, almost 4,000 units on his own without syndication, right? I mean, you may have listened to a lot of other podcasts, a lot of gurus out there talking about thousands of units, but all that is true syndication, right? And, and this is a true life. I mean, 
you started in the US uh, on what year, David? 1990 something, right? 1996, right? If I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, 90, yeah, 96. So that's when you started studying, I guess, right? Right, uh, right. And when, when did you... Uh, when did you start the real estate? When did you start buying your four So plans? I graduated in college 2000, mm-hmm. you know, worked for a year at JP Morgan. And then I think I bought the first property, a fourplex in 2001, February of 2001. So 2001, right? So 2001 to right now, 2020 is like almost 19 years. 19 right? years. Yes. So in 19 years, you're able to accumulate like, you know, you've done like 4,000 units. Uh, so right now I know you have like 2,500 units remaining, right? You already sold like, uh, 1,500 yes. units and and uh, the 2005 is all on your own and you recently did some syndication with a couple of hundred, 700 So units, you take that back for t- um, one of the things that uh, for 10 years from 2001 to 2011, mm-hmm. I didn't, I, you know, that doesn't, you know, I was doing single family homes and duplexes okay. and all that. So for 10 years, hmm. no multifamily. Okay. So, yeah, so I want to catch that. So... So you did 10 years single family houses, right? And, and, you know, duplexes, fourplexes, you know, nothing mm-hmm. multi, that I would consider multifamily. Got it, got it. But the Robert Kiyosaki book doesn't talk about a lot of single family. I mean, they do talk about, you know, buying assets that income producing and all that. But I presume yeah, they talk I, a lot about apartments, right? So Yeah, I think mostly what I got out of the book was the mindset, right? You read it about, you know, assets, liabilities and all that stuff. It, you know, it changes how you, you look at things. You know, that's really, I think uh, it kind of uh, changes your mindset is really what I got out of it. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Sometimes when you're working, when you're studying, you don't get any of this knowledge anywhere in the school, right? So people don't talk about asset liability and how does the rich people have more assets, less liabilities, right? And that's what you want to accumulate and get your assets to pay your lifestyle, right? So that's crazy concepts. It's not crazy. It's, it's It's a really good concept, but it's not taught anywhere in our education system, right? So um, so before that, I want to go to one more question where you, when you moved from your accounting job to real estate in single family, right? when did you resign your job? What uh, you 14 years ago now, 2006. Okay, so 2001 to 2006, you were doing single family home. And at that Actually, point- 2000, 2011, so you okay. know, I kept doing, so what I did was, uh-huh. Uh, when I was no, but, working, but you resigned in 2006, right? From the corporate job. Correct. Correct. So, yeah. so uh, six years of single family Yes. and you resigned. Is it because you made so much money in single family or what? Happened? I think I, at that point I had about over 50 single family homes mm. and I had a, come up with a plan where I was paying some off. So it, it, it had reached a point where the job was becoming, was getting in the way of managing uh, the single farm because we were ourselves managing with a handyman and whatnot. So I want to, how did you go to that 50 units from 2001 to 2006 and then you resigned, right? So I want to go that 50 unit because that's a, that's a cliff that you jump from uh, being an employee to become a business owner, right? So let's start from your first deal that you bought 2001, you read Robert Kiyosaki, you bought a fourplex, you do not know what you're doing, right? But so did you know something I, after that later on? Yeah. So actually go back, uh, mm-hmm. you know, 2001, I was, you know, you gra- in 2000, you graduate out of college and you're thinking, okay, the next step is, hey, buy a house, buy a new car, you have a job, right? 
So while at that, I was researching what would be the next step. I have a job, whatever it is. I met an older guy. You know, he's probably had been doing real estate for 40 years at the time. He told me, hey, young man, if you ever want to be somebody in America, buy real estate, right? So, you know, and then I took that to heart. I went to the library. I'm reading it. And they were like, okay, do not buy a house where you're going to live in fast. Buy an investment property. So what I did was I bought a fourplex using an FHA loan, moved into one, uh, one side of the four units. It was closer to my job, it was closer to DFW airport. Was able to get a lower, very low down payment because it was FHA loan. I got the deposits, I closed in the middle of the month, so I got the deposit and the rent for that month to, to be credited to me at closing. So I ended up not having to bring so much to closing, moved to one side of it, uh, rented out the rest, and I stayed there for a year. I think that's what is required. And then I moved out, did the same thing, moved to another house, bought it with, you know, a bank loan, whatever they stayed, however long they wanted you to stay. And then I would just keep moving. Um, but um, as time went, I, uh, you know, I started building equity, right? You're buying them, you know, at that time, 2001, you know, you buy houses, 50, 60, $70,000 that are maybe what, 200, $300,000 now. And uh, with that, I, I also started going to real estate meetups and all that. And I, I got hooked up with uh, wholesalers. You know, I, I don't, I didn't market for the houses. I didn't, because I had a full-time job, right? So I got into the mailing list for wholesalers and they'll send me deals. And I'll just pick one, give them the assignment fee. I'll buy the property. And that's how I was able to accumulate properties over time. Got it. So that's very interesting. So you did, uh one house at a time the, f the first for fourplex and that's what we call as a house hacking right where right you buy a fourplex and you stay in one and you get fha loan for the entire that's how i got property. started yeah yeah correct so people always sometimes they argue right i mean even you know a lot of people say that oh that's okay he, he did it when market was down and he ride the wave do you think the same thing can be done today I'll tell you something. Um, back then in 2001, I talked to a couple of brokers. I talked to a couple of people that had been doing real estate. And guess what they were telling me? They were like, oh, real estate market is saturated now. If you had bought in 1990, if you had bought in 1991, there's always people that are going to say, you know, 20 years ago was better than today. You know, I guarantee you 20 years from today, somebody was hoping they bought property in 2020. <laughs> 2020, exactly, exactly. Right? Because, yeah. you know, so back then I got those uh, kind of, uh, I, I don't know, comments, right? comments and, and even my, one of the uh, real estate agents that was selling me the property was like, you know, and guess how I found the property that I bought, the first property, out of a newspaper. Back then they had, uh, oh. uh, you go to a Star Telegram, which is a newspaper here in Fort Worth, you on Saturday, on Sundays, that's how I, you know, I would go into that and, and call real estate agents out of it. And then I would drive, go look at the properties. And, you know, a couple of agents that I called, they showed me the fourplex. I knew what I wanted. I was wanted a fourplex. And some of them was like, you know, you, you know, you are late to the party. You should have been buying a while back. You know, but I didn't care at that point. I just want to get my feet wet. So I paid full price, paid whatever they were asking. I just, you know, I just wanted to get in. Very interesting. I mean, even when I was starting up, uh, you know, I bought my first 45 units 
you know, even my single family, everybody say the same thing, right? People said, oh, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. Prices have gone up. Like what they're saying right now, right? So, so the point I'm trying to make to audience and listeners, if you think that you missed the boat, right. I mean, I'm not saying you think, you, you're probably right. If you think like that, yes. But if you think that you haven't missed and, you know, you should buy it, the time, the best time to buy real estate is actually yesterday, right? So right. you have to buy it. You have to buy, keep on buying if it makes sense and keep on buying because, Real estate in general goes up over the time, right? Uh, and 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 that's and and it's a brick and mortar, so it's not going to go anywhere. Right. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to make the point, saying that you know it, it was hard time during that time too. You didn't ride the wave, and you were not like lucky. Yeah, and thing, right? it's not that I had a, a huge pile of cash to put down on these houses, right? So it's like mm-hmm. the only way that I knew how was to move in to get a lower down payment. Uh, mm. You know, that was the only way. If you moved in, you you know, instead of doing 20% down, you do 10% down. Or I think my first property, the down payment was like three or 5% FHA loan. Yeah, FHA loan right now, right? So I'm selling one of my houses right now and, and the seller is putting only $5,000. That's like $170,000. Exactly. And then they are buying, I'm just thinking, wow, with 5% down, they can buy an entire house, right? So, right, right. And, and, and so you, I think what you did was something that not many people do where they do house hacking. A lot of people think that, a lot of people didn't, doesn't even know that that option available, right? They just said, oh, I want to buy another rental house, which looks like my house. Right. right? And they don't really see the, the cash flow. They don't see the resident, the tenants paying. I'll the tell you what, on right? my first property, the mm-hmm. fourplex, mm-hmm. my profit every month, if everybody paid, was 100 bucks. Oh, so really? if something breaks, <laughs> so for a while, my job was supporting my investments. Hmm. Right working at the bank and, and doing, was supporting the investment because sometimes it wasn't cash flowing, you know, AC goes out or something like that. But, get, you, know, after, you know, I had that motivation and drive, you know, that, that feeling of ownership, you own this, that pride of ownership, um, you know, was one thing that, you know, I was so excited to own the, uh, the first property that I didn't mean I I didn't mind paying for it to own it, right? <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Adding right. additional money, you know, and see, you know, you say I need the property to pay for itself. But at the beginning, I'll say the first, you know, couple of months a tenant moved out, I was paying to own the property. Then you know the property was not paying for itself. Got it. So it was not like huge cash flow, but it wasn't a huge cash flow, but I got a pop with the equity in the back end. That's how it really uh, you know catapulted me to buy more. So when you were owning it and was cash flowing very little, I mean, did you think that you made a mistake or you you were okay? No, I was so excited to own the property. You know, I didn't. You know, I thought. Um, you know, did I? I knew the value was going to go up, but was I certain about it? No. Uh, but my goal at the time was, I'm going to double the principal, keep paying more on the principal, and then oh, maybe in 15, 20 years, I'll have it paid off. That was really, you know, what I was looking at. So I didn't look at, oh, this is a terrible thing. It should be paying for itself. Uh, you know, it should be paying me. I had my job to, uh, to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you, you're a CPA, right? So you must have calculated all the principal pay down. Yeah, so I calculated <laughs> and I figured, okay, how many houses do I need to, how many years is going to take me to pay this house if I added, you know, another $500 every month, if I yeah. added another thousand. So yeah. my goal was to pay it off as quickly as I could. Yeah, I did the same when I first looked at my single family. I looked at like okay, cash flowing because I was looking at deals in Austin. Uh, it was like hundred thousand, you know, uh, like mm-hmm. five six years ago, which is really right. cheap compared to now, probably you know two three hundred thousand, right? So, 
you know, I know the cash flow probably like three or four percent, and that's like very minimal repair maintenance. But if you look at the equity pay down, right? Someone else is paying your equity, right? So someone right. else is paying your mortgage, so your equity is growing, right? So, so that plus when you sell, uh, you know, you get money as well, right? So you know, you you make like at least nine percent cash on cash, right? So which is right. a really good return, right? So assuming yeah. like people like you and I, we didn't know real estate at that time, and we see this real estate, well, it's like that's like a yeah. gold mine, right? So. Yes. Right. So, I mean, I'm an immigrant, you are an immigrant. Did you, do you think that the immigrant mindset helped you in thinking that, oh, I want to really make this a successful business? I think it has something to do with it. And I don't think it's about immigrant. It's just about being able to see the opportunities. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, it's like I told um, a friend, right? Like we go back to Africa uh, a while back, right? I'll take Mm -hmm. friends there. Mm -hmm. And when they go there, they get excited about all the wildlife, all the, Mm -hmm. but when I leave there, it it didn't interest me, Mm. right? Same thing here. I think people that live here, they, you know, they, you know, they can, they, they they take for granted. Yeah. They're not (laughs) able to, they get lost in the forest, right? There's so many opportunities that people don't know which one to. I remember asking myself one day, what am I going to do here? And everywhere I saw there was an opportunity to, make money and be successful. You know, I even thought, uh, you know, you can be a, you can buy costs and sell costs and make money. You know, you can do, you know, there's so many opportunities for business that I was like, uh, uh, you know, when I landed into real estate, it was just one of so many things that I looked into. Got it, got it. Yeah, I tried many businesses on my own too. I tried a website business. I tried a, a, a math education uh, business right. and I did, I tried playing stocks as well, you know, but real estate is where, you know, it was really slow and steady and I can understand it well. We can control it and, and yeah. can make the I'll money. tell you what though, um, mm-hmm. I started with the stocks uh, around 97 where everybody, their grandma and their dog was putting their money. People were pulling money. I remember my uh, college friends would take money from credit cards and they put in the stock market and it doubles the next day. Hmm. Um, I remember I took the money, the few uh, little money that I had uh, put in the stock market. By 2001, I think there was like, a, you know, right even before the, uh, right before the, you know, 9-11, you know, there was a correction there and it basically wiped me out. So I'm glad that happened because I started looking at other things because I thought I was going to work for JP Morgan and then I'm going to be, uh, you know, stock trade myself to to wealth, right? And then day trade is really what I was doing. And so I'm glad, you know, I think I invested 5,000. I ended up, it went down to like, you know, less than 2,000 bucks. I got out and I, that's what got me to start thinking about what else could I do? Yeah. And that's, that's how I ended up with real estate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to do, you know, I don't know, I don't call myself a day trader in so but I just like to, like to keep on looking at stock because it moves every time, right? And nowadays right. you have the phone. In, on iPhone, you can just keep on seeing moving, right? And, yeah. and because of that, it controls your life because now you're looking exactly. at Exactly. When I was doing that day trading, it's like one day, it's, you have mood swings, like the stock mm-hmm. market, right? Yeah. It goes up, you're so happy, excited. And then the next day, you're like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, you know, something yeah. bad happened, you know? Yeah. So I don't like the not having peace in my life when I, when I did stocks. So I said, okay, forget about stocks. That's for people who want long-term who are able to like, uh, you know, not look at stocks all the time, I guess, right? So I, it was not right. for me. So let's go into 2006 and then uh, where you moved to uh, full-time, right? In, from your accounting, from being an mm-hmm. accountant to full-time. 
Mm-hmm. And um, what was your thought process when you moved from uh, being an accountant to to full time real estate investor? Why did you resign your full time job? Because what I would do, uh, James, is you know I would take calls like you know you have answering. So I would take calls. I think back then we had uh, you know you know we had. Uh, people right you used to have that people yeah that pager people. pager the pager what you call yes, it yes yeah. we have pager yes. yeah you got pager <laughs> and then what i would do is i'll look at those like during uh my lunch break i'll go to the garage and i'll make phone calls on my lunch break and all that i got it got it to you know as you add more property you get more you like calls. 50 houses right you yeah now houses. you got you know maybe it was close it was like 40 or maybe close to 50 i think i ramped up right after i left jp morgan but mm-hmm. you know it got in the way because now when i go home in the evening you know, I didn't have time for family, kid or anything like that, because now you have to go check, you know, if, you know, a tenant call, they have to do, uh, you know, they have a service call and you need to stop by, you know, maybe meet a maintenance, uh, you know, a contractor there and, you know. So you like didn't that. use a third party property management, you were managing it yourself? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it wasn't because once you single family homes, once you have somebody in there, they're long term and it they, wasn't don't, really, they don't really disturb you, right? Yeah, so. they don't, you know, they, they didn't, wasn't really that, uh, you know, they were not, it was not a daily occurrence. Got it, got it. Yeah, got so, it. Uh, yeah, so kind of managed it at the, uh, myself. In the middle there, I had a property management company take over, mm-hmm. but it just wasn't any different. Mm, got it, got it. Yeah, I mean, we had, 13 houses and we thought that was a lot of work, <laughs> right? So, but you're right. Well, once you, you have a resident inside there, you don't really disturb. Once in a while you get called. Yeah, call you get a call. Right. Uh, but you had 50 houses. Uh, so, you know, it becomes very painful, right? So, so when you resigned, uh, did you ever thought that, hey, I've studied so much as accountant, I came to this country. Did you think all that goes to waste? Or do you think, okay, I don't care. I'm going to go, I'm making more money in, in real estate. Uh, actually, when I, I resigned, I told myself, okay, this is, you know, this, you know, I resigned when I, my profit, or you call it from the cash flow, surpassed my income from the job, right? Got it. At that it. point, I was like, okay, what if I put all this time to buy more properties? That's when I started thinking, what if I put, you know, doubled up on the time that I'm, you know, spending at the, the corporate job, buy more houses, you know, what would it look like? So really it was more of an experimental thing. And, and I tell you this, I resigned um, and actually, so I resigned, but didn't resign because they were giving out, uh, what do you call it? They were giving out- The separation packages? Yes, they were giving out separate, <laughs> you know, it's like, it was like uh, uh, polyundary, right? Yeah, voluntary. They say, okay, voluntary. If, you, if you, you know, I think they were downsizing or whatever it is. So like, okay, you either move to Boston or you take a severance pay. Severance pay, yeah. They were not letting you, you know, I don't know, it was kind of weird. They were not laying off, but they were giving us, you know, option to move to Boston or yeah, take yeah. a severance pay. And so I took the severance pay and then they were still paying you and you still got an employment. So I was like, I'll, I'll take this and test how it feels. Got so it. I took, so you, you know, so I, you got a big, big pay, pay day, I guess, right? From yes, the and then I just took six months out of it. And tell you what, the first 60 days, I was so bored out of my mind. I was so bored because I didn't, you know, you have all these hours. What are you going to do? Usually you're, you're used to getting about six. You hit on the traffic. I live like about an hour away from my job in Dallas, right? Uh-huh. So then, you know, now I started sleeping in until nine o'clock, you know, 10 o'clock. You know, I'm used to waking up at six. You know, you start getting lazy and I was like, you know, what, what else? What else can I do? I went back to 
I worked for uh, uh, Bank of America. So I went out there and um, yeah, it didn't last very long. You know, uh, you know, after six months, I went back, worked there for, I don't think it lasted that long, 60 days. And, uh, you know, I missed my freedom. So I, <laughs> I quit and then it just got into real estate. I was like, I'm not going back. I'm going to do this full time. And that was it. Okay. Okay. So you had a, a structured life and then you're doing real estate halfway through, right? I mean, you're doing it as a part-time, but you are so busy. And then when you go full-time into real estate, it becomes too boring. Yeah. Because then there's no, you have these houses, right? It's not like they're calling you every day. Yeah. And yeah. when they call me really back then I have a pickup truck, I go to Home Depot, I meet a maintenance guy, pay for the stuff. And that was mm-hmm. as far as I can. And then my office was at, at, at McDonald's or, or Starbucks. Like I would meet tenants sometimes, sign leases at Starbucks. Mm. And that would be it. You know, we, we do that too. Say, we do that too. <laughs> yeah, where's the closest uh, Starbucks or, you know, McDonald's to, uh, to that house? We meet there, we sign contracts. And, and that's how I did business back then. Um, and, and then, but the one thing that changed after I came back uh, from working with Bank of America is I... I uh, I got in, into uh, buying more properties. The way I did that was I hooked up with more uh, wholesalers. I got like with home investors, and and then at that point I started doubling up, and I would buy like four houses a month. Okay, so I want to go a bit more deeper into that because I think that's something that uh, the, everyone want to know, right? So, so the first house was a fourplex. Mm-hmm. So how did you move from the fourplex to 50 houses at very high level? What was your strategy? Is it like you're buying distressed house and you're refinancing it to, so that you get next money? Or So back in that? 2001, there was a VA homes for sale. There was foreclosure. So the same guy, remember I told you about a guy that I met that was, it'd been a broker for 40 years. Mm-hmm. He dealt with only VA homes that have been foreclosed on. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. He didn't sell me the first fourplex that I bought, but the second one, he called me and said, hey, David, I have a town home here in Arlington, that, Arlington, Texas, that, hey, uh, it was under contract. It fell through. But if you came in at the same price that they were, I'm sure you're going to get the deal. You know, I looked up the deal. It looked pretty good. It was only in a very nice subdivision. Uh, ended up buying it with a bank loan still. But the good thing is I, buy, I bought it at, you know, I think uh, I bought it, sold it six months later for 30,000 profit. That was the most money that I ever got, right? <laughs> From that, I did a 1031 exchange and bought, you know, three houses where I'm putting 10,000, 10,000 on each. But so how do you get houses. a, do you, are you able to get a house for 10,000 at that time? No, no, that would be the down payment. Down payment, right? Yeah, you get the loan on the rest. So I assume the house was 100,000, 10%. Okay. Actually, it was 20%. So I was buying houses like 50 to something like that. Okay. But they were clean houses. This is mm. houses that were financeable. We might need a carpet or something like that. But mm. most of these houses were foreclosed houses. That I got it. Got it. So you're now, buying foreclosed houses. Okay, got yeah, it. That's bef- yeah, I would buy foreclosed houses or wholesale house. So I wasn't mm. buying anything retail. That was one thing. So was there a lot of competition for that foreclosed houses? Or was there like too much inventory? <laughs> I think there was were not as many investors. Let me put it this way: as the other, okay. you know, I think I would go to our to a single family investor meetings, and I would be the only one probably in my twenties there. Most guys that were there were gray haired or you know been doing oh. it 20, 30 years. You know, everything for, to them was expensive. 
<laughs> you know, those because are the same it, because they have seen so low prices, yeah. right? Yeah, so, because uh, I talked to a guy back then and he was like, oh, I, you know, I bought my first property 30 years ago and yeah. I paid 15 grand. Those, those houses were 15 grand back in the day. You know, you're buying 75,000 yeah. now. Mm. To me, you know, so those guys, you know, they were not paying that much more. And, you know, if they didn't get their price, they're not buying it. Yeah. You know, over time, that that's a change, of course. That's a very interesting concept right when you have gone through that run up of price you mm-hmm. always think the latest price is very expensive right like right and we're running through that now i mean yeah yeah like i was seeing prices in austin at forty thousand a door like what three four mm-hmm. years ago and now right. it's all like 120 130 so like it's very hard for me to digest to buy deals at 120 130 because I could have bought it at 40, 50 a door, right? <laughs> we wish we all wish we had bought it at those prices, right? <laughs> yeah, which is crazy, right? So I think that's what happened in that meetup where everybody's gray out. But you are the young ones who are like, you can see the vision because you yeah, are just I starting I think I would fresh. count the guys that were my age group maybe with, you know, with one hand. I don't think it's even maybe a half fingers because maybe it, two or three it. guys, but everybody there was a veteran, or, you know, meaning in the real estate business, you know, where the brokers or they've been investing, they bought it in the seventies for 5,000 a door or something like that. You know, but, you know, nobody back then even talked about apartments or none of that stuff. It was just single family yeah. homes. Okay. Got it. Got it. So, okay. So let's go back to 2006. You had 50 houses. And when did you start your first apartment deal? So, 2006, uh, so I ended up doubling up. 2007, I bought a lot of houses as well. So we ended up going close to 60, 70 But 2007 houses. is where the market crashed, right? 2008. 2008. So did you buy the peak or were you okay? No, 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 no. Yeah, I guess you call it the peak back then. It's not where we are right now. Those houses, you know, I might have paid. I just have a house that I bought back then here and I'm selling it today for 275. I paid 60,000. Even at 2007, okay. Yeah, I bought it in 2007. So this is in Dallas, right? So Yeah. So basically what has happened is maybe, I mean, taxes in general were not, were nothing happened during that time, I guess, right? Maybe the the house crash is more on the coastal market. Yeah, I do think people, a lot of people said, oh, we had a crash. But I think mostly whatever happened is, you know, I think that, the pro- values didn't go down as much. Correct. I think correct, maybe correct. they'd be there a little bit higher, you know, higher vacancies or something like that. But I don't think as in Texas, in my opinion, and somebody else might have a different opinion, the values might have gone down. Hmm. I mean, looking at that, assume I had a house that was 100,000, goes down 15,000, you know, 50, 15%. So now you're 85,000. Most of the time I'm buying them at 75%. Okay. Of value. So, so now I'm stealing the money. Got it. So I didn't it. really lose anything. Got so it. I kept the properties through the, the you know, the, hmm. the recession. That's good. So um, let's go back to which year did you start the apartment buying a first apartment? So I started looking into multifamily in 2006, believe it or not. 2006. There guy, okay. There was a guy named David Lindahl out of Boston. He was like yeah. He was the first. He was the first guru of multifamily, right? Yeah. So I, you know, <laughs> so I would go into his events and uh, you know, uh-huh. but I would get nervous to pull the trigger, right? So I was like, I'll go in there and you know, they talk all these big numbers, and I'm like, man, this is you know, this is way beyond my pay grade, you know. Yeah, I know. You know, I didn't think I could buy you know apartment complex, but the prices even at that time is not the same price. They were still lower, but I didn't think I can see myself getting a loan of a million dollars, $2 million to buy an apartment complex. Yeah. So, so I went to his event 
bought everything, all the courses they were talking about, read it, and then just collected dust. I kept doing, you know, the easy thing that I knew how to do was single family homes. So I kept buying single family homes. Uh, uh, the crash happened in 2008. I kept buying more single family homes. And in 2011, you know, I had, you know, all these single family homes. Maybe I, I started, I had started paying them up. I had about 30 or 40 single family homes free and clear uh, in 2008 when the crash hit. And so I bought my first apartment complex in 2011. So coming back to Dave Lindahl course, right? did he teach syndication at that time? Yes, he was teaching okay. syndication. Um, yeah, but it wasn't, I mean, I think uh, so all these other, uh, you know, courses or, or investment groups around here, they might not appear, but I didn't hear when it, you know, I didn't know. No, no, them. they didn't. I don't think so. They existed. I mean, they all came later on. I mean, I know some people claim they are 30, 40 years, but they were doing small, small houses. Right. I, so I, I, yeah, I didn't yeah. hear about them. The only thing I knew was David Lindahl yeah. was out there yeah. in Boston yeah. and yeah. I didn't do anything with his course. Yeah. Dave Lindahl, I think if you go back to YouTube and look for Dave Lindahl in 2010, I saw one YouTube from him where he said, go and buy apartments in 2010. That's the best, best mm -hmm. investment in 2010. And he was like very adamant. And you can, cannot find any other clubs or any gurus out there who talks about apartment like what he did. So, right. so I would say he, he probably pioneered, you know, he had that really good vision of apartments to, even during that time, right? So even though now, you know, he's, I don't know what happened to him. I think, I think the group still exists, but I think he's, I don't know, missing or what. But but I think I'm just have so much respect for him because he's the only guy I can find in 2010 right. where he said everybody should buy apartment, buy this. So you were studying um, David Lindahl back in the 2000s? No, no, no. I recently looked up at some uh, some of oh, okay, his okay. YouTube, right? Because okay. uh, I was looking at his YouTube and I saw that 2010 is when he was like really pushing for apartments and he was very strong about it and all that. So how did so you were doing a lot of uh, foreclosure houses and you were doing 1031 exchange. Mm -hmm. um, how many units was your first apartment complex? 72 units. So, and you said uh, in 2008 is when you started looking at apartments, right? I, yeah, I looked in 2006 when I got David Lindahl's course, but I never really, mm -hmm. you know, I studied it and I figured out this is too much. I don't think I can do it, right? So I let it collect dash and I went, bought more houses, more duplexes, more fourplexes. Mm -hmm. And then 2000, well, after the crash, you know, I would say, you know, call it retired. I was, you know, doing this full time. I started playing golf and I'm like, I'm bored, right? And like, you know, it's not like the, the calls are ringing every day. So I started playing golf and all that. And you meet people at the golf course. You meet people talk about apartments. You meet people talk about this and all that stuff, you know? And then I, I was looking for a challenge, you know? Uh, you know, I was like, okay, the next thing is apartments are affordable now. So started looking for an apartment and, uh, you know, uh, Land, you know, somehow I ended up in LoopNet and found, you know, several, there was a lot of foreclosure at the time. And that's how I, I was able to uh, identify uh, my first apartment complex. Did you go for any meetups uh, during that time? Where, where no. apartment? So it's no. not like nowadays where, you know, there's so many meetups and so many. Um, I didn't do meetups. I, all I knew was, um, I knew is I got to buy the wholesale. Right. Okay. And I was tired about, you know, I'm telling you, man, I live in DFW and DFW is wide. And I have, a, I had a property in every city in DFW going from Johnson County. I mean, to, you know, all majority of all the counties and the surrounding counties, I had a house there. So I was driving from, you know, it's a whole, you know, you could drive a whole day 
to go check on the houses, right? I was getting tired of that. So I wanted something, you know, kind of uh, all together in one place. So that's what really I started thinking about apartments. You know, that kind oh, of- Oh, because you were like tired of going around- Yeah, everywhere. because you have them all over the place. And, you know, if you have a maintenance guy, one thing goes wrong in one side of town, then he has to drive across town. It's just, mm. it, you know, it's just getting tiring. Got it. Then and then said, even okay, for I... me too, because sometimes you have to drive to check on your properties and I'll- you know, I was, I'm really, was really proud. I just go to my properties, you know, just to go see if they're still there. <laughs> but anyway, you know, that's a joke, but you know, I'll drive them and I'm just like, take me out. I remember one get... time I got up early in the morning. It didn't get home until four. I'm driving from, you know, one part of town to the other one, just checking on the house. They were spread all over the place in the Metroplex. Yeah. You must be proud of yourself because all that is owned by you. Right. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that that was the case. I was just feeling, I just felt good to know that I was, uh, I had the freedom from the job. Like I can get up and don't have to, you know, rush. I didn't have to answer to anybody. You know, it feels mm. so good when you feel like, you know, I don't have to answer to, you know, the big boss. Got it, got it, you got know, it. Just that's, you feel like a big, you know, my parents though didn't, were not very happy or my mom wasn't very happy. You have this job at the bank and you know, what are you doing? I didn't tell my parents what I was doing until probably about four or five years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> I did well, that was go. one of the questions, right? Because you came from Kenya to the US and I'm sure there are people back there. I mean, similar to me, my family, right? Everybody's proud of you. Right. So now you've made it to the US and you have a good job, right? And what are you doing now? You're doing real estate? What is that? <laughs> I, I did real estate for 10, 12, 13, 14 years. Hmm. Never, they still thought I was working at the bank. Got it, got it. They must because, be telling the whole village, hey, my son still work at the bank, right? Because yeah, yeah. It was that's like, what parents do, right? And you know <laughs> what? I had this thing on my Facebook page. Uh-huh. And see, because my parents, when I started Facebook, right, it was just so that I can communicate with my parents. Oh, got so it. So what I would do is I left my job description there. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't change it. <laughs> because I didn't want my parents to be like, okay, he's a real estate were investor. You, what the heck is this? Were you in a suit and a tie and a, and a bank backdrop? Yeah, so I would, you know, I would never bring that topic up, you know, but then I never changed. <laughs> What my what I do? I yeah, just left yeah, it at, yeah, as yeah, an accountant at the bank because yeah, I, I also don't talk about it to my parents. Yeah, I never wanted to tell them what I was doing. Yeah, and, uh, but as long as I was still, they, they would see that I was taking care of business and all that. They didn't know where I was going. You know, yeah. they thought, hey, he, he this this bank must be, you know, paying him a lot of money. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's true. That's true. So. Um, so the first apartment complex, the 72 units, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because you are moving from single family to apartment. Right. Valuation changes. Mm -hmm. Did you know how to, what's the cap rate, how to calculate NOI and all that? Well, I'll tell you, I didn't understand what the cap rates are, but I knew how to buy wholesale, right? I'll, okay. You know, the way I looked at deals, like, you know, even today, if you buy a property, the property I bought, and I'll tell you about was 10% occupied. So cap rate is out the door, you know, how you calculate cap rate on mm, that. Mm. So the yeah, way I looked so, at yeah. it, yeah, the way I looked at it myself at that first deal is, what is the best that can happen? What's my, what What's is the downside, downside? Downside risk, right? Yeah, so, what is my downside risk? And I was like, okay, you know, if I can live with the downside risk, then I was like, okay, what is the upside, you know, on this deal? If I think I can, I can, um, if I, if I think I, I can live with the downside risk and the upside risk is what, uh, you know, taking the, uh, buying it. That's how I, I, I uh, looked at that first deal. So you like to buy at discounts, I guess, right? Compared to well, at that point, because it was like, uh, you know, uncharted territory for me, right? 
So you're going there making sure that, you know, you try to de-risk the deal as much as you can. Mm. You know, I was like, okay, how, what is my break-even point on this property? How many units do I have to lease it? Can I, can it go to, you know, I mean, it was, you know, it couldn't go any lower than it was, but I, my break-even point was very low that I was like, okay, all I have to do is rent 20 units out of these 72 units or, you know, so the, 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 the upside was, was, a, was huge. And that's what got me to uh, jump in. So I want to ask a theoretical question. So let's say you see a deal like today mm-hmm. where it's giving you 8% cash and cash or 8 to 10% cash and cash. It's beautiful, but it's giving you a good cash and cash. Uh, you know, would you buy that kind of deal? Today, Yes, and I'll tell you why. Because as an investor, you go through stages, right? You go to that, you go with the stage where you're trying to build your equity and all that. And then you reach that preservation stage. Uh-huh. So if it's a property, you know, middle of the fairway, not, you know, you know, yield play, you know, if, I, if I'm doing a tinted one, right, putting the money, packing the money there, it's giving me, you know, it doesn't have a lot of headache, no you know, it doesn't, uh, it's not, doesn't require a lot of my time uh-huh. that, you know, 8% return is better than what I'm getting at the bank. Uh, now, how, if you syndicate the deal, you have investors hoping for that 8%, which you still buy the deal. Well, it depends on what my investor pool is, right? Because I'm sure I would have taken the, uh, a pulse of the investors, but uh-huh. I'm talking from my standpoint, if, if I like the deal and it uh-huh. meets, you know, uh, it meets, uh, you know, I have to see, what my reasoning for buying the deal, right? If it's just, if it's a 1031 exchange that I have to park money somewhere, yeah, I don't just look at that 8%. I look at this tax savings and all that stuff. So there's yeah. a lot to, that goes into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. 1031 makes sense because, you know, you rather than paying to the government, you rather just put it into Right. Right. So yeah, would I buy 8%? I'll say it depends. You know, chances are I'll buy, you know, based on what my situation is. Okay, got it. So let's go back to your first apartment complex, the 10% occupied. Tell us about the story of that 10% occupied and you know, you are so daring to touch a property with a 10% occupied. This is very interesting, right? Because, um, you know, I know about apartments. I've studied about it and all that stuff. Didn't know syndication, you know, and I didn't know that I really wanted to do syndication. I had my single family homes. For all I know, I was set. Right, just waiting to pay off these houses, and then I'll. And how many houses you had at that time before buying the first? Uh, about 60, 70. 60, 70. And a lot yeah. of that got is paid off, so or 30, you know? about 30, 40 were paid off. So almost 50%, 50% is paid almost off. Almost 50% right? was okay. paid off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, like I said, I was looking for, you know, something to do, and then I saw this on LookNet, call a broker. Um, uh, met him at the property. Actually, I had a partner that was trying, actually, I won't say a partner. It was a guy that was working with me or uh, trying to find houses. I drove to the property with him. We met the broker there. The guy was like, I'm not into multifamily. He didn't want to do multifamily, but he drove there with me when I talked to the broker. The broker was like, by the way, I have two or three more properties. We go look at those. And for me, like I said, my criteria was you know, I want one that is affordable. So I got the one that was of, of the three. There was a 200, and 200 plus unit 
well, I, I wasn't going to be able to buy that. They were asking 2.5 million at the time for 220 units in a very nice area. Yeah. You know, you look back, right? You should, we should have <laughs> bought it. And then there was another one was like 50 units, but they were asking a lot more than what they were asking for this one because of the occupancy. So then, you know, I looked at it and I was like, you know what, this is closer to my, uh, my office, closer to my house, not too far. I would say closer to my, not my house, close to my office. And, you know, so, you know, look, talk to the broker, um, ask him, Hey, you know, what is it going to take to buy this property? And I think they were asking that just, I was on a receivership. So they had a loan of 2.1 million. They, uh, um, they were foreclosing and the receiver was asking 695. So the bank was taking a big haircut hmm. on that property. And so I asked the broker, hey, you know, what's the whisper price? I guess that's what you say now. And it was like, hey, to get on the best and final, you got to come in at around 675. So did they even have a best and final for that kind of deal? Well, is yeah, they do. They have they have best and final. So what they do is there was a at that price point, you had a lot of lookers, but a lot of people wanting to to buy, right? Okay, got that it. was right. that's less than they listed for less than ten thousand a door, mm. right? And what was so the have, normal price uh, that time? Well, I mean, other, it was other, right around that, maybe a million, whatever it is. You know, no, no, not for the, that deal. For everything, every other property, how much? Oh yeah, hours? fifteen thousand, maybe. Less okay. than 20, around 20, you're paying very nice property in a very good area. Okay, so 20 is the market rate. 20, 10, 25, yeah. So 10,000 like is the, the 10% occupied property, right? Yeah, 10% occupied property, you're paying around $10,000, uh, you know. Um, so, you know, I, you know, I look at it and I was like, okay, this one would work for me because of the fact that, hey, it would, didn't take very much for it to break even. So that's how I looked at it that way. So... I, you know, called the broker, you know, met the broker, ended up putting the offer for 675, which, which is what uh, he told me it was going to take for me to be investor final. Mm. Right. So I put the offer in, put, give him 25,000 honest money. And that was, you know, gave it to the title company, 25,000 honest money. And that was it. Right. Um, uh, two weeks later, he calls me and said that you're in the best in the final. Right. And then, but let me go back a little bit. But during those two weeks, I'm talking to everybody and anybody, whether they've done property, they've ever bought property. What do you think about this area? What do you think about this apartment? Everyone was telling me, don't walk, run from that property. <laughs> don't not buy it. Even the city, mm. people told me, don't buy it. You know, I asked And what was their reasoning? What was their reasoning, don't buy? They were just saying, oh, that's kind of a tough area. You know, you know if you want to buy property, go to the north, north part of the city. You know, you need to go buy in this, you know, you get advices from a lot of people that were not, mm. never bought property. So when Best and Final came, I was determined to get out of the deal. So I told the broker, hey, I go, you know, my best, uh, my best price is going to be 475, which is $200,000 $200, below what, I, you know, what mm. he was asking. So you're, you're the first guy in all of the Best and Final where you reduce when you go further. I reduce my price. And basically what I'm saying is I went out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he was like, basically was like, hey, you know, best and final means you go up on price. <laughs> you know, I was like, I know, I know, I know, but this is my price. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. So I was like, okay. You know, a uh, couple of days, a week later, calls me and says, you got the deal. Maybe you should have put lower. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can think about that. That crossed my mind, right? I was like, what happened? So anyway, <laughs> what happened? So I called him and I was like, Listen, Mr. Broker, I don't know if you understand this, but I don't want the deal. When I went down, I mean, I don't want the deal. 
and it was like, hey, there's nobody, buddy. There's nobody else. <laughs> there's nobody, buddy. You need to, uh, your honest money is gone. Okay. So I'm like, okay, now what? You know, your 25 grand is gone. You know, you, you know it went hard after you, we went to the and final. And so I was like, okay, so what do I do? So I talked to the broker. That's actually one of the things that I like about, you know, real estate investing, right? You know, your broker could be a very good resource, you know, for things. So the, this broker helped me get a bank to solve my situation. So he was like, okay, you know, I've heard your story. I know your story. I need you to uh, drive to such and such a bank. Tell them your story and tell them you have this property under contract. So I drove to a bank that he told me he was actually has a relationship there, right? I think it was part owners. I don't know if he has some mm -hmm. ownership there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was some kind of relationship with the bank. So I drove there, met the president of the bank, told him my story. President of the bank told me, David, I will not touch this property with a 10 foot pole, but I'll tell you what I can do. I'll take about eight of your houses. I think it's, it took six, six of your houses. I'll give you cash. I'll give you 500,000. You can pay cash for that property, but I'll take, uh, I'll put a lien on your, Six oh, single family. Okay, so and you basically give you a credit loans. credit line, I guess, right? Uh, you know, they put loans on it, so basically they, they cashed okay. it out. They cashed okay. it out and gave okay. me, um, you know. And back then they were doing like maybe sixty percent LTVs, but I didn't care on those on those uh, single family homes. Hmm. So he gave me the cash, bought that uh, complex. Um, but one thing before I even proceeded is remember I never managed the property, you know, didn't deal with property management companies and all that. I went and talked to the manager of the property that was employed by the bank, the receiver. So she was, she was the property manager there. So I asked her, Hey, uh, you know, the manager, I asked her, Hey, what is it going to take for you to stay on? Okay. And she told me, this is what I'm making. Can if you give me a dollar raise, this property is not too far from my house, my, my, my kids school and all that stuff. If you give me a dollar raise, I'll stay on board with you. And I can turn on this property. Actually, she let me go look at, take a peek at prop, you know, the units. You know, I'll sneak in, drive by there, and I'll tell her, hey, show me some units. You show me units and tell me this property is not as bad as, as, it is, as they, they seem to be. The bank doesn't want us to lease any units. They don't want that oh, liability. Got it. Got it. So, anyway, so I told her, hey, what about $2? What about $3? So I ended up saying $3 because I was freaked out. I wanted her to stay. Yeah, and she's like, you, you didn't know anything about apartment at that time. Property, I didn't know what I was going to do at that point. I kind of have an idea, but you need somebody at the property. I didn't know how I'm going to hire the first, my first employee. What am I going to do and all that stuff. So I gave a $3 raise and it was the best $3 that I ever spent because mm -hmm. she ended up bringing, hiring a maintenance guy because she had experience, right? From property management. She had done property management for a while. So she knows people that, uh, that do maintenance. So she brought the maintenance person and um, and the rest is history. Six months later, the property was 90% occupied. Hmm. Within six months, wow. Within six months, like there was not a lot that needed to be done in a lot of the units. Hmm. Got so it. we just went in there, I mean, I think we spent like 500,000, but a lot of it was, um, a lot of it was, you know, carpet paint and you, know, you get people in. Uh, so, you know, we got it did it um uh, after 13 months we exited it and did a very did very well on that property um and tenth i want to change into a second property which we paid cash. so you sold off the that property or the you first property it? after 13 months 
after thirty months, you sold it off, I guess. We sold, we sold it, and then was, we did a ten thousand one exchange. Was it, e- was it easy to find a buyer for that property at that time? Actually, we had like twelve offers. Okay. Okay. And one of them was cash. Mm. So it's not like a, a property that nobody touches, right? It's like oh, no, just ten no, percent no. occupied, and there was no financials, and yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So at the beginning, yes, but now you have twelve months of financials. So I think your your thought of uh, what is my downside risk helped you, I think, right? Because you look yes. at risk, risk versus reward and you took that risk, right? You're, right? you're one guy who took the risk, but nobody else want to take the risk, right? Kind of Actually, the guy, remember I told you there was a partner that was going yeah. to invest me at the beginning that, you know, took off when we went to the property and everybody was Did he cry out. after that? When I showed him the check of a million dollars <laughs> when we sell the property, <laughs> I mean, you know, the guy was like, you know, I think, uh, you know, he wish he got in. Let's yeah, 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 that's true. That's true. It's always a hindsight 2020, right? So right. what's the reason you didn't ask to look for a third-party property management for that 10% well, property? It, the property wasn't, uh, you know, 2011, one, there were not a lot of property management companies. A lot of property management companies that I knew at the time did single-family homes. Right? Oh, got it. There got was it. not a lot unless you have all this, you know, back then there was not a lot of uh, this uh, prop, there was not a lot of property management companies that manage Class C properties. Got it, got it. So who you manages know? most of the So you go C to properties. LinkedIn and all that, they're not going to take that property. Mm, got at it. 10%. So, yeah. So uh, I had, you had to, uh, you know, I think it's by default we got into, you know, started doing the property management. Not. Got it, got it. So you moved from, you made a lot of money from that one deal, the 72 units. Right. What property did you buy next? 193 units. Okay, so after that, what did you buy after that? After that, I bought um, three apartment complexes. I bought uh, 100 unit, 124 unit, and okay. 144 units. So what, what was the period from that one property to the three property? What, how, how long was that? How many years was it? Um, about four years. So was it propelled by your single family equity? You were trying to sell single family or did you roll the equity from the first deal? So I thought on? both, both. So okay. every time I got a delay that from a bank mm-hmm. or, or that I don't make sense, I would leverage my single family homes. And I think when I started leveraging the single family homes, that's when I multiplied like crazy mm. because now you, you could take, you know, I think I went after that, I met a, a, a bank that went and gave me a million dollar line of credit on my single family homes. Mm, got it. But when they gave me that line of credit, that was down payment that I was using to buy, you know, apartments. And, and what and, year was this? Is it 2009, 2010, 11, 12? Oh, no, no, no. This is 2012, 14, okay. and 13 and all that. So did you hear about syndication or, you know, big groups I did, buying apartments? Um, I did. I think I started uh, hearing about syndication around 2013. 2013. 2013 about syndication. I went to to the syndication, but for me, I've always I grew up thinking partnership were bad. People that I talked to, they never had good experience with, with uh, partnerships, right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't looking to be this big, you know, you know, uh, you know. I wasn't looking to be, you know, Donald Trump, right? I wasn't looking to be like this real estate tycoon. Mm. I was looking to, hey, I needed a certain lifestyle. And that's what I was, you know, it wasn't going to, I I didn't think that I, I need to buy 10,000 units. I didn't think Got I was going to be buying a thousand units. That was not in my vocabulary. So your single family is the main engine, I would say, because you bought it 
in the beginning and you you had so much equity and you 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 yes. build that equity and that has helped you to buy a lot of apartments uh, yes i think I, i'll say uh, single family was my base yeah your base, my, yes. and i built that base and then i'll go back to it and you know leverage it to either sometimes through selling it or refinancing it or mm. whatever it is uh cross collateralizing it at some point uh, and then selling it and you know buying an apartment complex so every time i would sell a single family home i would buy a big i remember about uh, a year ago, I sold uh, single family homes and was able to get enough down payment. You know, the price was a lot higher, but I was able to get almost enough down payment to buy a hundred unit complex. Wow, that's you cool. know. So that's I sold cool. a couple single family homes. So I think the the single family had, which is even for me too, right? I had like thirteen single family, and that that was my base to buy my first forty five units, right? I, even mm-hmm. though I syndicated it, but I, I did it quite a good down payment for that. So that's good. So you basically, so from there, you just keep on buying and, and uh, you, you had like almost 4,000 units. You sold like 1,500 units right, right now, right? And, and why did you sell? Um, to harvest the equity. So now it's like, you know, when you're doing 1031, 1031 exchange, you're not, nothing is really going in your pocket, right? You're still house rich and cash poor. Oh. So I wanted to get some liquidity, you know, you know, you would, uh, you know, you don't own all these properties and then you look at your bank account and you're like, you know, you know, <laughs> right. you have enough just, you know, to, to cover the, you know, to cover expenses. And if there was any emergencies and all that, but it wasn't, you know, I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of uh, get that, uh, you know, take out uh, kind of asset allocate, get some cash. Got it. How big is your company right now? How many staff do you have? Uh, we have... Uh, I think last time I checked was 75. We have probably more than that now, but I think we were about 70, 75 okay. last time I checked. Okay. Okay. Yeah. When you get too big, you forget about number of employees. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It's forgiven. It's not that much. <laughs> yeah. But... Because you have to delegate some of it. Right? Yeah. You have it to delegate. To... And that's one thing that I'm learning to do that I didn't do at the beginning. I wish I learned early yeah. was to delegate, but you know, like you did everything and now I'm learning to, you know, you know, you know, let it go. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I mean, and also property management is a moving, the employees keep on moving, right? Oh yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of, uh, so know, many movements, a lot of right? yeah. a lot of turnover and you, yeah. sometimes our job is just hiring, hiring, hiring. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'll say I, you know, this is not the best way to put it. Sometimes I feel like, you know, I talk to my HR person and she's like, I feel like I'm, I mean, an adult daycare. <laughs> yeah. Because sometimes, you know, employees, there's employees, but yeah. they're great people, though. I love them. Yeah, yeah. Really, I mean, we usually say adult daycare because we own the apartment and we take care of the resident, right? But, right. But they do <laughs> take care of the resident. So, so I kind of, you know, you know, that comes with the territory, too. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, I like managing the employees more than managing the apartment. So it's not like people mm-hmm. say you self manage, but are you really, you're managing the employees. Mm, that yeah. actually do the, the the managing the managing of the apartment yeah. right so um yeah that's very exciting to hear your full story because i think uh, uh i think one main thing that i see is you know sometimes people say there's no deals here or deals are too expensive right but as you said it's always about you know when you, you have to you have to you have to take the effort right now i mean the way uh the way i look at it is you know how people you do stocks right you do dollar cost averaging so the way I look at it is, you know, don't ever time the market. You can, but I would say don't time. If you, you know, one guy ever told one guy that ever told me something before. He was like, you know what? 
there's always deals when the market is going up and there's deals when the market is going down. You've got to be in the field to play. You have to be in the field in order to score. You, you can't just be in the, you know, on the, on the stand. On the sideline, right? Yeah. On the sidelines and, you know, you know, assume that you're going to win a game. So you have to be always playing. Got it. Got it. And that's, so, you know, my philosophy. So- 2018, 2019, 2020, did you buy any deals? I think the last deal that I bought, yeah, we bought deals last year. We just bought deals early this year. So you don't know, you think sneak. that it was too pricey? Because now you are, you have seen that entire run up, right? From 10,000 a dollar now to... That's the disadvantage, right? Like when you get that price points back in 2011, it's like you, I know people that still buying in 2014. 2015, you know, around that time, because they thought 50,000 a door was crazy, right? Because people stopped buying, buying. You mean people stopped buying? Yeah, you know, I remember even my banker, my first bank that I went to, you know, I paid, you know, less than 10,000 on the first apartment complex, right? My second one, or my third one, fourth one, I remember around the, down there because I remember the conversation with them was like 32, 33 a door. They're like, David, why are you paying this much for this apartment <laughs> complex? You know, you pay 15, 20, you know, why 32,000 a door? That unit right now, I saw it, it's being listed for 95 a door. Wow, that's crazy. Right? You know, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's real estate. I mean, it's different it's, uh, market. Yeah. Different market. I mean, but that's a disadvantage right? because a lot of times you see 85, 90 a door, you say, oh, no, no, that's too much kind of yes. thing, right? Because you're so used to seeing and, and you're so used to pride yourself too, I guess, right? Because you bought it at a really good price and now it's like... Yeah, but you know what? I wish one thing, if you ask me one thing is, I would have bought a lot more than uh, oh, yeah. I bought, yeah. right? Everybody says... It's a hindsight but... 2020, right? I mean, yeah. if the market have crashed, people say I should have sold more, right? So... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, so... so um... So let me ask you one question, which I've never asked any other guests, right? So I was telling you before the Uh-oh. show, you're going to get one new question, which I didn't ask anyone else. So let's, so let's say you are given the biggest banner on the highway of the world, right? So everybody in the world is going to drive through this highway and they're going to see your banner, right? So what would you want to put on that banner? What's the message that you want to tell the world? Um, as far as the company, as far as what we do? Uh, no, not, not about business, about your personal, personal message to the world. Um, what, do, what do you want to say to the world? I mean, uh, what's your message? Is there a message I, that you want to communicate to anyone out there? I'll say take action. <laughs> take action? Okay. Yeah, I'll say take action. In whatever it. you're doing, you know. Uh, I think action cures a lot of things. Hmm don't procrastinate right because i've seen you know, a lot of people yes right so yeah got it got it all right david why not you tell our audience about yourself and uh in terms of where to get hold of you your website your company and you know how to get in touch with you well um i mean i think the best way to get hold uh to get hold of me is uh through my email uh my email address is david at bellasrealtygroup.com so bellas is b-e-l-l-a-s right bellas realty Realty group.com spelled out okay Um, or you know my phone number office number is 817-284-2445 okay okay awesome awesome all right thank you very much for coming on the show i i really enjoyed it i'm sure a lot of our audience and listeners is 
it's inspired by your story and you know many are going to take action and and i'm happy for them and ha- happy that you came and give the message to everyone because i think it's a lot of times uh, you know they need to see people who have struggle in life and came up in life and build that puzzle you know to you know yeah. to own as many units you know 4000 units as what you have so it's not impossible right and 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 not even with the with that with with syndication right so that's important right. so awesome all right thank you very much well thank you uh thank you for having me james i know it's been a long time coming but uh here we are Absolutely. We can, we can cr- cross it off the ch- the checklist. Checklist, yeah. You already did my podcast. <laughs> yeah, I did your podcast. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, James. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free, along with other valuable resources, by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com/free-audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.